0: This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.Muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. I want you to go through the whole Quran with me. Join me at Bayina.tv. <laughs> هذا صراط مستقيم فلما Ahasa منهم الكفر قال من أنصري إلى الله قال الحواريون نحن أنصر الله آمنا بالله وأشهد بأننا مسلمون رب صدري يفقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه اجمعين Once again everyone, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته We're going to try to take a deeper look at ayahs number 51 and 52 today hopefully That's my agenda for uh, this afternoon And we begin with the ayah, it seems very simple at face value In Allah رَبِّي وَرَبُّكُمْ Fabuduhu هَذَا صِلَاتٌ مُسْتَقِيمٌ These are the words of Isa alayhi salam to his people And he's saying, certainly Allah, he is my master and your master, all of you so worship him. Thus worship him, and in, in, uh, you know be in servitude and slavery to him. salatu mustaqim. This is a straight path. That's a pretty straightforward translation of that statement. But there are some things here in the Arabic and also in the context of the ayah that are very profound that we should take note of. The first of them is the words inna. The word it begins with the kasra inna, and what that means in generally it means certainly. But actually, Sometimes it actually means because. So in the Quran sometimes when you see the word inna in English translations it's translated as certainly but it plays the role of illa meaning certainly for example um, some ayah Allah will say something and then at the end of it he say inna rahim and they'll translate it as certainly Allah is forgiving but it actually also means because Allah is forgiving so what was said before he does so because he is forgiven. So he forgave him. One translation, he forgave him. Certainly he's extremely forgiving. But actually also means, so he forgave him because he's extremely forgiving. So Inna becomes ta'lil. So this has also been looked at as تَعْلِيلٌ, as a rationale, meaning the implication here is not just certainly Allah is my master and yours, but also because Allah is my master and yours. And of course when you say the word because, then you're connecting it to what you said before that. Right, so it becomes illa uh, for what for what came before. So what did come before? He said, "I have come to you uh, with a miracle from my ma- from your master. Be cautious and aware of Allah and obey me, and obey me waati'oon because Allah is my master and yours. So there's an important continuation from obey me to because Allah is my master, because Isa alaihi salam." Here is telling them, I'm not asking you to obey me because I am your authority. I'm asking you to obey me because Allah is your authority. I have no authority except for what Allah has given to me. Okay, So he's you know this, this is an important piece of information because he doesn't even know this yet, السلام, that people are going to be committing shirk with him. People are going to be considering him divine and he's already addressing that in the way that he's preaching to the israelites who don't think that actually they think of them him as less than even a believer it's the opposite but he's addressing both of those audiences at the same time by saying actually i'm only asking to be obeyed because that's what allah told me to do he asked you he asked me to tell you to obey me not because i'm interested in being obeyed i'm not interested in that governance or that authority you know, or that leadership. It's something that's been bestowed on me and I have no choice in the matter. Risala, being a messenger, is not a choice. A philosopher has a choice whether to write a book or not, or to come up with a philosophy or not. A messenger, when he preaches a message, he didn't have a choice. He was told to do it. And he has to do it because he has a master telling him to do it. And that's what he's making clear. I'm not giving you this message because I like agitating you or disturbing the status quo or because I'm interested in popularity or I'm interested in, you know... You know, uh, gaining some influence over you it's because i've been told rabbi and you need to listen because he's rabbukum so inna allah rabbi wa rabbukum and that's that's actually a very important piece of lil amri bittaqwa taa this is actually the rationale of being cautious of allah being aware of allah and then obeying and imam razi goes on to "La ila shay'in illa kuntu fa'il lahu he's also by saying allah is my master and yours He's saying, I'm not calling you or inviting you to do something that I'm not doing myself. Actually, I'm the first one to demonstrate by example what it means to worship Allah. and asking you to do the same as I'm doing. So, you know how sometimes leaders tell their followers to do something they don't do it themselves? Right, and someone has an authority over you, like your boss. He'll tell you to do the work because he's not going to do it. He's telling you to do it. Right, so when someone's in a position of authority, they have people under them do their work that they're not going to do he's actually distinguishing himself from that. He's saying, I do exactly what I'm asking you to do. I'm I'm not doing anything differently. This is also reinforcing something that we learned before. Allah described him as, وَمِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ And he is among the righteous. You remember that phrase, he's among the righteous? In other words, he's no different from the righteous. He's actually calling on them and saying, the standards that apply to me are the same ones that apply to you. I am not in any better a position. This is a profound statement and has many powerful implications for us as a society, especially Muslims as a religious society, because in many religions in the world, and Islam unfortunately has been no exception. Well, Islam is an exception, Muslims are not an exception. What happens is that in religions, when people are in a position of religious leadership, a preacher, an imam, a scholar, a rabbi, you know, a a pundit, or whoever, like, you know, whoever is the religious clergy, they start being seen as someone that are like kind of a step above everyone else, right? They're closer to Allah than everyone else. And the standards that apply to them are different from everyone else. And they are—they don't have the struggles that everybody else has because they're already people of God. They don't have the challenges that other people have. They don't have the struggles that other people have. They're already in a different place. Prophets themselves, عليه mussalam, are actually saying, I'm no different from you when it comes to that, when it comes to Allah's Expectations of me I'm a slave as you are You know it's really profound to note here that Our Prophet wasallam, the, the highest station he ever reached Was when he was elevated to meet with Allah Because he has something in common with Isa salam. Isa was elevated And our messenger was also elevated And of course if you study that narration Which we'll get to one day when we study Surah Al-Isra He had a conversation with Jesus He had a, one of the conversations he had Was in fact with Isa salam. But in any case, when he went all the way up there, this is, you know, in life, the higher up you go, the, the greater your status is. And so the highest status the Prophet ever rec- received, is to be in Allah's company. And to be up there, what does Allah say about him at that place? He describes him as, فَأَوْحَى إِلَا عَبْدِهِ ما أوحى. He He revealed, inspired to his servant, his slave, whatever he inspired. In other words, the highest place a human being can be is in his relationship to Allah is actually abd, a servant, a slave. That's the highest place we can be. There is no higher than that. And once you call someone abd, there's no higher abd and lower abd. They're all just ibad. they're just slaves. The ranking has disappeared. We've humbled ourselves before Allah. Inna Allah Rabbi This is actually echoed in the teachings of the Quran, not just on the tongue of Isa alayhi but actually something that Allah inspired us to think about. He said, وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا وَقَالْ إِنَّنِي مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Who could be better than someone who invites others to Allah? And acts, acts correctly, acts righteously themselves. While saying, I'm just among the Muslims. In other words, the one who's calling people, inviting people, the one who's got a mic attached to them, is not any better. They're just among the Muslims. When somebody's giving you a sermon, it's not like the sermon doesn't apply to them. When someone's talking about struggles, it doesn't mean the struggles don't apply to them. They're, they're not above them. When somebody's you know criticizing a behavior, that doesn't mean that criticism doesn't apply to them. Look at the sunnah of our messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when he says, wa nafsi I counsel you and myself to be cautious of Allah. Whoa. Our messenger telling us, you should tell us, be be cautious of Allah. He says, No, myself too. Myself also. Look at Yusuf عليه وَمَا أُبَرِّئُ نَفْسِي إِنَّ nafsala نفس لَأَمَارَةٌ لا bisu. I don't declare. I don't absolve myself. I don't de- declare myself innocent. I'm not saying that I'm above it. You know, the, the nafs can command to evil. It can do so. So and it does so over and over again. So when he says, "In Allah, Rabbi wa you know, certainly Allah is my master and yours. Fa'abdhuhu, then enslave yourselves to Him we're actually learning something else, the connection between terms. And that's the other thing I wanted to highlight here. How the Qur'an teaches profound philosophical teachings with just key phrases. Previously we learned, be cautious of Allah and obey me. wa ati'oon. Two pieces, be cautious of Allah and obey me. What we're learning is actually, obedience to a messenger is motivated by our caution of Allah. Like it's actually Allah that inspires our obedience to a Messenger, And when those two things two things are in place, then you're doing ibadah. So it's actually taqwa plus ita'ah equals ibadah. How do I get that equation? The previous ayah was, فَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ وأطيعun. Now what's he saying? In Rabbi رَبِّي وَرَبُكُمْ فعبدوه. Actually now he's defining what it means. When you have those two pieces, an awareness of Allah, and that awareness of Allah makes you want to learn what your Prophet did, والسلام, and live like that. And obey what he did, then you've actually entered into Allah's slavery. That is what it means to accept Allah as your master. So in the Allah Rabbi wa may Allah make all of us from those people. So فَقَدْ تَبَيَّنَ مِنْ هَذَا كُلِّهِ أَنَّ عِيسَى عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامَ مُصَدِّقٌ فِي الدُّعَاءِ إلَى التَّوْحِيدِ اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى وَأَنَّ عَلَى صدق النَّبِيِّ wa it's actually saying that one of the greatest you know, evidences of Isa salam confirming the same message that was given to all prophets and never claiming divinity for himself. is he's putting himself in the same plane, the same category and the same level of humility as the people that he's inviting to God. He's not putting himself in a different place at all. So, إِنَّ اللَّهَ رَبِّي وَرَبُّكُمْ فَاعْبُدُوهُ now I want you to um, also understand that Isa salam when he spoke and when you call on Allah as your Rabb this is not just a soft invitation it's actually a pretty aggressive invitation. Because when he is saying to the Pharisees the religious leaders of the time among the Jews basically the corrupt scholars of the time the corrupt Imams of the time when he's speaking to them and saying Allah is my master and yours, worship him is actually his way of saying you're not you're not worshipping Him, and you better. Now, these people, their career is worship. Their status in society is their worshippers. That's what gives them their place. And he says, well, I don't want your place, I'm like everybody else, but you need to bring yourselves down too. You need to humble yourself. So this is actually a very offensive thing to say. Like can you imagine for example, you, me, going to some famous scholar, and saying, Worship Allah. You're gonna you're tell me to worship Allah? Seriously? I'm like the poster child for worshipping Allah. <laughs> so he, And he's not trained in their seminaries. He's not someone who has credentials as far as they're concerned. He's an outsider. And he, they've they've been you know they've considered him a thorn in their side all along, and now he's coming at them and counsel, giving them a sermon. And that's the other thing: who gives scholar a sermon? Who gives the scholar a sermon? Like the scholar is used to giving the sermon. Who's going to give him a sermon? And if somebody says, "Hey, I want to give you some advice." Oh, excuse me. Are 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 you on YouTube? <laughs> How many followers you have before you give me advice? You know, I just wanted to tell you something. No, well. You know what happens in any field, in any field, as you get more and more specialized in your field, it becomes difficult for you to listen to somebody else's input. But you know what? I've actually seen that in most other fields, this isn't so bad. When a physician, you know, a a neurologist speaks to another fellow neurologist who's read some new research, he doesn't say, oh yeah, you read a paper? No, he says, yeah, pass it over, I want to read it too. There's a kind of intellectual humility. Let's grow together. But when it comes to religion if one scholar or someone who you consider not as qualified as yourself or younger, older, a school you don't like, whatever maybe you you know judge a book by the cover you just look at someone their appearance are like oh I know what your your kind is like and they're going to try to tell you something about an ayah or a hadith that you've already studied oh you're you're going to tell me no no please impress me who are you to tell me? You understand? That is the height of kibr an arrogance. Why? Because nothing is above Allah's word. We don't have an authority on Allah's word because Allah is our master. These are words of the master. Anybody claiming supremacy over them, authority over them, you know, the final interpretation, وَمَا يَعْلَمُ تَأْوِيلَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ We already read that. The final interpretation of that cannot be known by anyone except Allah. You have to approach the book and the word of Allah with humility. Which means, it doesn't matter how much you've learned You're still an open book As far as coming to learn from someone else And you know, a litmus test For myself, yourself, anybody A litmus test is when somebody's trying to tell you something about Something Allah said Or something Islam says Have you already started calculating A counter response in your head as you're listening Or are you actually listening? Like you're just patiently waiting for them to shut up So you can put them in their place Or are you actually giving it an ear And saying, I'm gonna think about this I'm going to keep an open mind. No matter how crazy it sounds, or you want to reject it. And sometimes we want to reject things, not because of the merit of the argument, but we want to reject things because it's coming from certain people. It's coming from a certain, you know, uh, we've already we already sized somebody up before they've even opened their mouth. And that's a problem. So he, the, the statement, in rabbi wa Rabbukum فَعْبُدُوا is a pretty heavy statement. And that compels me to share something with you of the kinds of criticisms that Isa made of the Pharisees that are still recorded in the Bible. Uh, One of the the excerpts of that is something called the woes of the Pharisees. Uh, These are um, scathing criticisms that Isa alayhi salam made. Some say there are seven woes, eight eight woes there. You can find them on uh, Wikipedia and other websites too. But I'll read some of these to you also, just so you have an idea of the kinds of things that he would say about them. They taught about God but did not love God. They did not enter the kingdom of heaven themselves, nor did they let anyone else enter. Uh, in other words, they would, they would, first of all, behave like they shouldn't be behaving. And second of all, they would constantly describe how pe- oh, these people are going to hell, these people are going to hell, these people are going to hell. This became religion for them. Like their idea of teaching religion was condemning people. That's what it was. And of course, we have no experience of this in the Muslim world at all. They've, so I don't even know how we can relate to this. They preached God, but converted people to dead religion. Thus making those converts twice as much sons of hell as they themselves were. In other words, they, they were calling to a cult instead of calling to our faith. You know, be be our way and you're saved, and if you deviate even a little bit from our way, then you're you're out. They taught that an oath sworn by the temple of or altar was not binding, but that if it's sworn by the gold ornamentation of the temple or by a sacrificial gift at the altar, it was binding. Basically what it is is people would come and make an oath to Allah at the altar, altar meaning their equivalent of the Kaaba. Okay, the equivalent of the Kaaba. You know people come to the Kaaba and make promises to Allah, make dua to Allah, make vows, things like that. Uh, but they, they said, no, the gold that is there, you should take an oath by the gold, because the gold is actually valuable, not the not the house of worship itself. And Isa am criticized that. How then could they d- deny the oath binding value to what was truly sacred and accorded to subjects of trivial and derived sacredness? In other words, objects became sacred to them. The, the criticism summarizes to, objects became sacred. Now, what happened essentially is that there are some things that you hold on to that have supernatural power and they will bless you and these are the things that are going to protect you in some way and so you're gonna go make hajj and you're gonna hide scissors inside your ihram so when you get to the Kaaba you're gonna and get a little piece of the khilaf and then you have it in your living room like yeah it's don't. I can't afford a security system so I have this uh, protecting my home, and or you you know people have like microscopic size copies of the Quran in the dashboard of their car. You ever seen these things? Like you need two magnifying glasses to be able. To, you're not going to read that ever, but because you don't have good dual side airbags, you have that, right? Or you know amulets and just or tying something that's going to protect. You know people will say well, and people will go. To these these um, pseudo religious leaders, I've seen these things. Like uh, sometimes my my mom watches. Like she leaves the TV on sometimes Pakistani channels, and they have these like eight hundred numbers, eight hundred like you know deviate, deviation. Uh, people call for all kinds of misguidance. Hey, so I'm not having a baby. What should I do? He's like, hold on a second. Do you have any duct tape? And like <laughs> And he's. Telling them to wrap something, and if you take it off, then you won't have a son, and this and that. And the lady, poor lady, did this, does this thing. She puts in a metal collar or whatever she puts on, and then she has a baby, and she thinks it's because of this, and she won't take it off because if she does, her son will die. And now it's getting infected, and they're going to the doctor, and they're like, nah, because I'm not going to. And I've seen this crazy stuff. Assigning sacred value to inanimate objects, and to do so in the name of Islam. Because, you know, you blew on... I, I saw something in a country that shall not be named, um, a Muslim country, where um, it's the same chocolate bar. Check this out. It's the same chocolate bar, different prices. In the same aisle. It's in this, this one's 10, this one's 15, this one's 20, exactly the same. Why? Because if you flip it, this one, the Qur'an was played over it 10 times, this one 30 times, this one 100 times. It's blessed chocolate. <laughs> Dude, it's just chocolate. And your your YouTube recording of Qur'an being played on it did not change. But this is the silliness that enters into... Like our religion is a religion of thought, of contemplation, of common sense, calling people to accept something with eyes open, and then we become superstitious like this. And this too, endorsed by people that claim that they know the religion. This, this comes from people who claim religious leadership. He called them out. He called out this kind of craziness. This is a, this is absurd. They taught the law but did not practice some of the most important parts of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness to God. They obeyed the minutia of the law, this tiny, tiny fraction of the subfraction, um such as tithing spices, but not the weightier matters of the law. I was mentioning this to you before, you're obsessed with the mosquito while the elephant escapes. Right, we're talking about that? So, you know, this one hair is showing and therefore you're going to hell. While, like, the family's involved in a liquor business. And then nobody talks about that, but we're going to Hajj every year. So, that's that's psychotic behavior, that cognitive dissonance is what he's calling out. They presented an appearance of being clean, self-restrained, not involved in carnal matters, yet they were dirty inside. They seethed with hidden worldly desires, carnality. They were full of greed and self-indulgence. When, re- when the religious class, in any religion, starts looking not like everybody else, like they'll dress, especially like in a way that sets them apart, like, oh, they're here. There's like an aura around them usually a couple of people in half ruku walking behind them too. You know, <laughs> when you do that and you create this, oh, these are the holy people that are here. And the people come and kiss their hands and sit at their feet and they pour the water so they can wash. And Did the prophets expect this? Did any prophet do this? Our messenger, Sallallahu would sit on the floor, people would walk in, they wouldn't know which one's the prophet. And now you have like this, 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 like holier than everybody else. These people, Ponche Velog, they call them (laughs) Irduh. Right? They're up there. They've, They've reached some kind of maqam with Allah that nobody else can reach. The fact that you accept that kind of self righteousness for yourself is already an indication that there's a wickedness. That in and of itself is a wickedness. And you know, it's no surprise that, you know, when this when this sort of thing happened with Christianity, of course, especially with Catholicism, but it's not limited to Catholicism. Those people, you know, dressed in sacred garb and they lived an, um, like a monastery life and they're not going to get married and they're the holy people of God and people walk by them and they bow and they want to just touch them for blessings. And, you know, and we got some of that. Some of that virus infected the Muslim world. You know, um, I mentioned this story before, but... Uh, when I was younger and I started learning Islam, my early impressions of the religion were if you dress more like an ancient Arab, that means you're more Islamic. right? So if you wear a thobe, that's more Islamic. If you wear a turban, that's more Islamic. And I used to rock all that stuff. And I had like, like a beard that went this way. Uh, and I, when I would go to the masjid and I'd give a khutbah or something, you know what people would do? People would literally come up to me with their children and say, could you pat my child on the head? Could you blow on this one? Could you just, just want it? And people will come shake your hand and go, Look, What are you doing? <laughs> and this is actually just, let me, you know, do, I'm not Jesus and even if I was, He'd slap you. Like, <laughs> like you know, this is not. And you know, I decided consciously never to rest like that again. Consciously. And people are like, Astaghfirullah, he's wearing like a shirt and he's giving me a khutbah. Yeah, yeah, I am. It's cool. First of all, that's not more Islamic than anything else. The deen teaches us how to dress, but not one kind of dress is more sacred than the other kind of dress. That's that's just simply not the case. There's no evidence for it. And second of all, that's it's not even about the clothing. The issue isn't clothing. The issue is the appearance of someone sacred. Someone beyond ourselves. Someone who's closer to God than we are, just because of how they look. And they give that impression, they give that vibe. Nope. Look, المسلمين, I'm among the Muslims. The the du'a قول, or the, the statement, man, There's no, you know, who could be better than someone who calls to Allah, does acts righteously, and says, "I'm from among the Muslims." This young guy came to me. I remember it's actually a Cincinnati story. I can't believe I called it out, but young young guy came to me. He's like he's wearing a thobe, is a scruffy thobe. It was like a thobe that's been through like like a truck ran over it a couple of times at least, and. He's got this beard all over the place and he's like, my father keeps telling me to shave my beard and he ke- keeps telling me to dress like the kuffar. Ah, can, can you advise my father? He's, he's here at Jummah. I was like, no, I'm gonna advise you. <laughs> Clean up your beard. That looks scary. <laughs> that, that's not Islam. I don't know why you think that's Islam. And why is this? Why, why are you, does you looking like a banana salesman you think is somehow closer to deen? Could dress up nicely. What's wrong with it? Tell me what's wrong with it. It's against the sunnah. What's sunnah? Prove it to me. Show me, what are you talking about? Uh, 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 Go, your your bigger obligation is to dress like this or to actually give some common peace to your father? Is he stopping you from praying? Is he telling you to eat haram? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? You know, These, this is not Islam. This is not what the deen demands of you. The deen dem- demands of you much bigger things. And you know... <laughs> my, um, my dad has a like a strange sense of humor I love it uh, you know we in the dream program we had all kinds of students and in the first year of the dream program we had students that were like this is a super Islamic program and they came like a you know dressed very traditionally and they come every day like that because they you know were learning sacred knowledge so I'm going to wear sacred clothes kind of thing so uh, he just my dad just one time because he was at the front desk he just comments on this one guy he goes so you have no other clothes, <laughs> <laughs> and Guy came with a T-shirt and jeans the next day. <laughs> in any case, not to make fun of any one kind of clothing or dress. If you like dressing in a thobe or shalwar or whatever, that's cool. It's good for you, man. It's fine. It's not more religious than the other. And don't do it to appear closer to Allah or to appear more religious. Because that has nothing to do with it. That has absolutely nothing to do with it. Be clear about that. I wear shalwar because I like it. I think it's relaxing. And you know, the other reason, if, if I ever go to Hajj, Umrah, or whatever, I absolutely wear Pakistani clothes. Absolutely. Because they get treated like garbage. That's, I, I definitely do it then. Because I I want to be with everybody. And I, I purposely, I, I can speak Arabic, but I don't speak it. When I go there. I make a fake accent, and don't speak it. Because if you speak Arabic, then... Something change. and if you speak English, oh and <laughs> so no, I don't want I don't I don't go there to get special treatment. Why do you why are you going there to get special treatment? You know? I wanna get pushed around a little bit. I wanna get ignored, dismissed. It's fine. You didn't go there to further your you you went there to humble yourself before Allah. And it's the wisdom of Allah. Allah put the people there that make sure you stay humble. <laughs> they really check your self esteem and put it in place. Anyway, another criticism of Isa They presented an appearance of being... Oh, I did that one, the the appearance of being clean. They exhibited themselves as being righteous on account of being scrupulous keepers of the law, but were in fact not righteous. Their mask of righteousness hid a secret inner world of ungodly thoughts and feelings. They were full of wickedness. They were like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but full of dead men's bones. That's self-explanatory and pretty scathing. They professed a high regard for the dead prophets of old, and claimed that they would never have persecuted and murdered prophets, when in fact they were cut from the same cloth as the prosecutor, persecutors and murderers. They too had murderous blood in their veins. This woe foreshadows the Pharisees' eventual condemnation of Jesus Himself as well. So, these woes are important to understand, because when He says, Allah is my master and yours worship him he's actually in a, implicitly saying you're not and here's how you're not worshiping him this is the antithesis of worshiping him and then he adds hada sirat almustaqim this is a straight path in other words the path of deen is clear the path of deen has no confusions the word sirat actually means a road that's wide open multiple lanes if a highway has multiple lanes that would be called a sirat and if it's completely straight like there's no wind, so you don't know if it's turning and there's traffic ahead or, you know, is a dip or is there, you know, the bridge is broken or whatever. No, you could see miles and miles ahead. You know exactly where this is heading. That's actually called a sirat. It comes from the word surat, which is a straight sword. You know how some swords are curved and some swords are straight? So the perfectly straight sword is called a surat. And it's interesting that the word sirat actually has no plurals. Sabil has subul, tariq has taraiq, turuk, you know. But, uh, you know, the, the, the word sirat doesn't have a plural. It's only one. There can only be one clean, straight path. This is it. Meaning what he's calling them to. The book is not asking you of multiple pathways. There's only one way of thinking, one way of living, one set of instructions, and they're very simple. And then he describes that sirat with the word mustaqim as, a, as occurs in the Fatiha. And what is mustaqim? Mustaqim actually comes from qiyam, originally. Qiyam means to stand. Stand upright. Mustaqeem, something that's standing upright. Now something that's straight is already, the word straight is already part of the meaning of the, word, of the word sirat. So you know how we translate this as a straight path? If the word sirat was there, you could already translate it as a straight path without even mustaqeem. Without mustaqeem even being there. Because the straightness of it is already included in what word? Sirat. So clearly the phrase straight path is missing something. It's missing something that's been stated in the Qur'an and in this phrase. The word mustakim coming from istiqama, Allah describes it as when you when you weigh back in the day when the grocer had uh, a scale to weigh groceries they put you know the weight on one side they put the rice or whatever on the other side and the the balance in the middle the stick in the middle has to be perfectly what if you if you bend it then it's going to be a problem it's not going to be fair weight so Allah says, when you weigh, weigh with a straight scale, because sometimes they used to hold the scale in their hand and then weigh. Right? A little bit like this. Yeah, yeah, that's enough. Here, take, take, take. You know. So this is this is al-khusas al-mustaqim. I'm highlighting that because the idea of istiqama is something that it's actually straight upwards. It's straight upwards. In other words, people that elevate, that people that progress on this path, they're actually elevating themselves. They're elevating themselves. They're rising above. And they're, the more they're rising above, they're leaving worldly desires and worldly greed, lowly greed behind. They're elevating themselves above from it. And they're ha- getting higher and higher and higher and higher. يَرْفَعِ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ أُوْتُوا العلم The word Mustaqeem is suggesting that we're getting higher and higher. And by the way, when you're getting higher and higher, who are you getting closer to? You're getting closer to Allah. This is a path that gets you closer to Allah how come you're living on a path that takes you and others away from Allah and you call it Salatul Mustaqeen how is that Ibadah to Allah how is He your Rabb how is your path not taking you closer towards Him if He's your ultimate master then every step you take is a step closer to Him it's interesting that that visual of the path going upwards is, is relevant also because when you're heading upwards it doesn't mean that gravity stops working right so it's just because you're leaving some temptations behind doesn't mean those temptations still don't pull on you. And if you've made some progress up and you stop struggling, what happens with, what does gravity do? It pulls you, so it's a constant struggle. Nobody will ever have, I know enough now, therefore gravity doesn't work on me anymore. I've done enough worship now, gravity doesn't work on me anymore. No, no, no. It's gonna have to be a constant struggle. And if you make it really high up, let's imagine that you made it really far, actually you're in more danger than everybody else. Because... A fall from up here is much more painful than a fall from down here. You understand, and so they that are the knowledgeable are actually in more trouble, in more danger. And that's why you'll find it's an ironic thing, right? When you when you find people that are worshippers, spiritually inclined, seekers, and humble people, you'll find that they're very like very cautious and careful. You're like you're a good person. Why are you like that? Why are you so paranoid? Like you're not you have, you haven't even done any bad stuff. Well, you know, when people go up there and then they fall, they really fall. That's a hard fall. <speaking to the earth> Had we wanted, we could have elevated him by means of the revelation we taught him, but he fell to the ground and he 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 became permanently embedded into the ground. So it's a very scary thing. That he's highlighting you need to be careful about, you you guys in particular. mustaqim. It's ironic also, in some some subtle imagery, a path that leads upwards, being said by Isa. Salam, because he's literally gonna head upwards. Straight. And that's gonna happen. Right? So, so it's an interesting language and wordplay that's kind of foreshadowing what's coming. Falama kufr. Very strange. Phrasing in Quran coming from uh, I wanted to, I, I will eventually Maybe probably tomorrow Give you a chronology of events For what happened in the life of Jesus Like as trying to connect What we have of the Islamic sources And what we have of the Christian Jewish sources And trying to create a narrative Of what exactly happened What are the main highlights of what happened in his life Okay, We'll try to do that tomorrow inshallah But um, for now I want to tell you that you have to appreciate Isa as a very different messenger, with a very different mission, as opposed to all the other messengers of the Israelites. Like he's different. Why is he different? One, he's the last of them. That all obviously sets him apart. Two, he's actually being rejected as a messenger. You see, all the prophets of the Israelites, they didn't say about him, you're not a messenger, you're not a prophet, we don't believe in you. No. Look at Isa, look at Musa's words. وَقَدْ تَعْلَمُونَ أَنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ يليكم. You already know I'm Allah's messenger to you. Why are you causing me pain? In other words, after knowing he's a prophet, they would cause him pain. After knowing he's a prophet. With Isa a.s. something is... And by the way, they killed prophets before. But did they know that they were prophets? Even when they killed them? Yep. They knew and they admitted it and they, they said they're prophets. With Isa, something has is changed. They don't accept that he's a prophet. They don't accept that he's a messenger. They've done outright kufr of him. So before they had nifaq, before they had hypocrisy, now it's evolved to outright open kufr, open disbelief. The other interesting thing is that there are two groups that are a challenge to Isa Of course, in the very immediate sense, he's dealing with the Pharisees, the Israelites, who are a shadow puppet kingdom of the larger Roman rulers. So the Romans are actually the colonizers, the owners, and they've left a sub-government for them to run their own affairs. But if things get out of hand, they step in. It's kind of, you can think of it like state, federal government and state government kind of thing. The Romans are the federals. And the state is being run by the Israelites. Okay. The Romans are pagans. They're the ultimate authority and they're pagans. There's some interesting parallels between that and the life of our messenger, and the Jews that the Prophet encountered in Medina. The Jews of Medina were a pretty influential power. They had a pseudo-government of their own. The Jews of Medina also outright rejected the Prophet of Allah, just like the Jews of Jerusalem outright rejected who? Isa there's a larger power in the region that has the most influence economically and politically in the, in the time of Isa, and that is the Romans. There's a larger power at play in the region that has more influence militarily, economically, and that's who? The, the Quraysh. The Jews of the, of the time, or the, 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 the Israelites of the time of Jesus, at the time of Isa, secretly conspired with the Romans to try to get Isa killed. And the Yehud of Medina secretly conspired with who? With the Quraysh to get the Prophet killed. So there's actually now parallels between the struggle. Not, so in one way, of course, Risa is very much like the Israelite Prophets. But in one way now, we're seeing a departure. We're seeing actually a similarity between him and the Messenger of Allah Wasallam and their missions. You, you see the connection that I'm trying to draw here? The other interesting thing is that it's, it was rumored that Isa has been killed. And yet, he survived. In this surah, later on, Allah will describe the battle of Uhud. In the battle of Uhud, the Prophet ﷺ was struck. He fell to the ground, and it was rumored that he's been killed. And he actually survived. Isa ﷺ, we believe, was elevated after he survived. Rasulullah is going to go up a mountain after he survives, later on in the surah. Here you're going to find he's going to say "man ansari ilallah," who are going to be my aides towards Allah. That's what Isa's, Isa's words are going to be, and later on we're going to find "wa man nasru illa min talking about our messenger and the account of the Battle of Uhud. So there's a deliberate parallel being made between Isa salam and Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu in these ayat. That's the subtext of these ayat. It's very beautiful and very powerful. Anyway. فَلَمَّا أَحَسَّ عِيسَىٰ مِنْهُمُ الْكُفْرَةِ When Isa sensed disbelief from them, when he could feel the disbelief from them. What does it mean to feel the disbelief from them? Well, if, uh, Imam Razi talks about this word, "ahassa," because he didn't just say when they disbelieved in him. كفروا, when they disbelieved. No, فَلَمَّا أَحَسَّ عِيسَىٰ مِنْهُم الْكُفْرَةِ When Isa could sense, could feel the disbelief from them al الْأُولَىٰ الْإِحْسَاسُ al عَنْ وَجْدَانِ an بِالْحَاسَةِ وَهَوْ bil hassa. Wa huna wajhan. Ihsas means something you physically feel. Like something, like if somebody touched me, that's ihsas. Or you felt the heat, that's ihsas. So it's a physical feeling. And that's the word Allah used. Not sha'ara bil kufr, but أَحَسَّ bil kufr. Like he sensed the disbelief? No, he actually felt the disbelief. So what could this imply? That they actually spoke disbelief and it hurt him and it caused him pain. Kind of like what Musa salam is described as. You know, لَا تَكُونُوا آذَوْ مُوسَى Don't be like those who caused Musa pain. And the ones who caused Musa pain did not cause him so physically, they caused him so by words. فَبَرَّأَهُ اللَّهُ مِمَّا قَالُوا And Allah absolved him freed him from everything that they said, just like he did with Isa, Wa kana in wajiha and he was, you know, noble and one w- to be able to face Allah and noble before Allah. Same word used to describe Isa alayhi salam, Wajihan fit dunya wal akhirah. The only two times it's a- it's occurring in the Quran is for Musa and for Isa, right? An nahmilahu the second, the second, the second, an second, the 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 second, He could sense, sensing the disbelief means, it implies that he knows, and Allah gave him the feeling, that they are beyond repair. They're done with. Now there's no room for giving da'wah to them, to, to invite them. Now the only thing that can be done, is actually to oppose them, to stand tall against them. قتله, قتله, and now they're committed to kill him and he could sense that. وَلَمَّا كَانَ ذَلِكَ الْعِلْمُ مثل العلم الحاصل من الحواس لا عبر عن ذلك العلم بالإحساس. When he could tell that is the case, he was so certain about that reality that they're ready to kill him as much as you would be as the physical feeling of touch or heat or water Touching your skin He could feel that as real as some physical feeling That's when this expression was used In other words, now they're ready, thirsty for his blood They're out out to get him It's as if there's a parallel To when the Prophet ﷺ could tell That they're out to kill him And they're out in the cave You know, there's even a parallel to the cave story And Isa ﷺ He's in hiding And they're coming out to get him And Rasul ﷺ is in hiding in the cave And they're out to get him And he he could feel the kufr in them they don't want to hear anything from him anymore. What has the Prophet done? What money has he stolen? What government did he try to, to usurp? All he's done is speak words of Allah and they're ready to kill him? And these people, these, these Arabs are so proud of their poetry and their eloquence. If they think these are just words, they could just kill, just kill him with words. Why are his words so offensive that you're ready to kill him with your swords? Why aren't your words powerful enough? Why do you have to silence him that way? If these rabbis are so true and Isa alayhi is salam so false, then why don't they just crush him with their knowledge? Why conspire in this way? That con- that conspiracy to kill him and to try to execute him itself is proof that he was right. Because if he's false, falsehood, you can d- false statements, you can disprove by true statements. You can just disprove them and move on. The fact that you can't. There's no wa الحق al الباطل That actually is an indication that he was on the, on the haq, and he was right So qala man أَنصَارِي إِلَى اللَّهِ. Now we get to this, this phrase So when he could feel, feel the intensity of disbelief He said who is going to be my aid towards Allah Here I'd like to introduce you to a Sort of a, a complication in Islamic studies um, Probably we'll talk about it at length tomorrow I'll at least introduce the complication today Because we're pretty much out of time um, And that is as follows Isa story in this way occurs a couple of times. It occurs here, and then it occurs again in, with this intensity in Surah Al-Saf. In Surah saf Okay, the, so the 61st Surah. Now, what happens in both of these cases is the, the proximity of this story is around a battle in which the Prophet is engaged, our Prophet is engaged, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So there... It's actually in <laughs> Allah Yu loves those who fight in his path in straight rows, disciplined, as though they're, they're a cemented wall. That's the parallel there. Here, Lakum <laughs> فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ fighting in the path of Allah. The Prophet is engaged in battle, and this discourse is about the Prophet being engaged in battle, and in the context of that, Allah draws on the story of Jesus. Now, the thing is, you probably, whatever you've heard of Isa السلام, is Prince of Peace, right? Um, you know, the, the images of Jesus are like a, a dove, you know, and softness and gentleness and kindness and God is love and God is mercy and all this like fuzzy, happy stuff. And in the Quran, Jesus occurs, especially the struggles of Isa السلام, are mentioned when the battle against the kuffar is mentioned. And of course when we need Allah's help in battle when Allah's prophet needs help from Allah you know the word for that is nusr or nusr idha jaa nasrullahi wal fath man ansaari ila when the torture becomes too much too much mata nasrullah ala inna nasrullahi qareeb wa man nasr illa min indillah wa laqad nasarakumullah bi nusra nasara nasr over and over again over and over again the idea of divine aid coming against the enemy in the most extreme physical conflict. That's when the word Nusr is used. And similarly, this word is used when things get really intensified and Allah is going to take some intense action. For example, Nuh saying, أَنِّي Same origin. surni bima Aid me against the lies they make. Well, build an ark, I'll drown them. Allah didn't need an army for Nuh, the army was the drops of water. That was His army. He didn't need a defensive shield, the, the ark was His defensive shield. Same word. Now we're finding that word, من Ansari إلى Who is my aid? Nusra is not just help. Nusrah is help against an enemy. Nusrah in Arabic means help against an enemy. And when it's used, when it's in the, in the context of Qur'an, also in the context of the surah, and when there's a direct conflict. Now this poses a problem because in the whatever record we have of Salaam, we don't have him fighting. We don't have him engaged in any physical kind of conflict, you know. And especially when you get to Surah as saf Allah actually describes that the Messenger was promised victory. He was promised victory. And at the end of that surah, Allah gives the Muslims a case study of how Allah will give victory, and He gives the example of Isa. That's really strange, because Isa السلام, by the Christian record, was brutally crucified and slaughtered, and his followers dispersed. And in our record, he's lifted up, he's taken up. How is that a parallel for the coming victory? Allah said in Surah Al-Saf, ala So he can dominate over all other religion, the Prophet could dominate over all other religion in the region. It could nothing will remain. Even if the disbelievers hate it. That's why Allah sent His Messenger. And later on, the word recurs in the story of Jesus. Fa fa asbahu Same word again. You know, we aided those who you know who believed against their enemy, and they became dominant. ظاهرين. But how are they dominant? Historically, they're not dominant. That's kind of a riddle, historically. And that's a, it's a difficult question to address, but a very profound one that Allah posed in the Qur'an. And that's something that I want uh, you know, students of Qur'an to be aware of when they get to the story of Risa عَلَيْهِ <laughs> especially its parallels and its lessons to be drawn for our understanding of our Prophet's mission, عليه <laughs> And so that's the the, the the couple of comments on that, and then inshallah ta'ala I'll, I'll close, I'll explain, من الله قال الحواريون نحن الله inshallah ta'ala tomorrow. And we'll try to get to 52 and 53. But The, the, the thing that I want to um, present before you, is that our Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I'm losing my train of thought, قال الله What was I gonna say? What was the last thing I just said? Nobody remembers. Huh? Oh, yeah, okay, okay, sorry. Yeah. Because I'm thinking about too many things at the same time. In any case, so Rasulullah, his mission is always compared to previous prophets. His mission is always compared to previous prophets. This is really important. His, you cannot understand what he did if you don't understand it from the lens of previous prophets. You know, when you put, uh, Shades on, if there's a blue lens, you'll see more blue. If there's green, you'll see more green. Allah wants us to see what the Prophet did, through the eyes, through the lens of Musa, Isa, Ibrahim, Salih, Shu'ayb. It's not something new, it's something that's already been done, you understand? This is important. Why, why do I keep saying this is so important? Because you have, in, unfortunately, in our Islamic studies, an isolated approach to study which means we study the life of the Prophet but we don't study it in light of previous Prophets, in light of their struggles. Our Prophet did this, then he did this, then he did this, then he did this, and this is what happened next. And when you do that, when you cut the Prophet's seerah and his struggle, and his mission from previous Prophets, then the, the, the problem is very simple. You know how you can have news, and then there's commentary on the news? Right, and sometimes the news is one thing but the commentary twists it and takes it in five different directions because it's not enough to know what happened there was shots fired outside the office that's not the whole story why were they fired? who fired them? what was their motivation? what happened afterwards? who got killed? who didn't get killed? and just just because you have the information you don't know the whole story you understand that? The problem is, we focus on this many were killed in Badr, this many were killed in Uhud, then this happened in Ahzab, then the Prophet did this وسلم, then the Muslims took over this, then we took over Persia and Rome, and, da-da, and we do this, but we don't ask why. Why? And why is, how is this connected to a chain of legacy of previous Prophets? And if you don't do that, you might come up with a different view of what happened, or why it happened. Your analysis of that history could change. Because the lens with which you're seeing it is not the Quran's proposed lens. The reason I'm highlighting Isa so much, or the reason I highlight Musa so much or Ibrahim alayhi salam so much, is I'm arguing you can't actually understand Rasulullah if you don't understand these individuals. They're actually telling the same story. There is an there's a deliberate Superimposition of phrase, of phrases, of stories, of accounts from Allah Himself, from Allah Himself, and you know, when the Prophet was was killed, or, or rumored to be killed in Uhud, Allah Azza Wa said, "Muhammadun Muhammad is nothing but a messenger. قد خلت من قبله الرسول. Messengers came before him too. if we were If he were to die or if he was killed, would you just turn back? Is that what all it would take if he died? It's completely okay for a messenger to die, but the, Allah is Hayyun Now, if I said that to you, but I didn't tell you he's talking about Muhammad. If, if I took the word Muhammad out, and we're discussing the story of Isa would you? Would that still resonate? Completely. Completely. So there, there are, the parallels are deliberate. And they actually create a chain of thought, a a way of viewing things because you know the angle from which you view something changes your perception of reality completely. When I look at you this way, I see something. If I'm standing over here, something is blocked from my view. When I stand over here, something else is blocked from my view. The angle changes everything. The angle has to be Qur'anic. Our view of history has to be from the Qur'an's lens. The Quran sheds light on it, and then you appreciate what happened. And that's what I the, the, the riddle that I mentioned to you about Isa alayhi salam apparently losing, apparently not dominating anything. And Allah is saying, فَأَصْبَحُوا vahideen. Allah aided him and they, made, they became dominant, and Allah is giving their example when He's teaching us lessons. There's gotta be something here we're missing. There's gotta be something Allah is telling us that we're not seeing. And that's what I want to highlight here, the, the subtlety and the, the the profound wisdom embedded inside these ayat that really create a, the, you know, the right view of our religion. I don't like to use the word philosophy of our religion, but really the view of our religion that I feel gets kind of lost because we have, we, we've accustomed ourselves to a surface reading of the, of the text. May Allah Azza wa give us ability to do true tadabbur into the Qur'an and to be able to understand the legacy of our Prophet wasallam and the legacy of this deen in the way that he wants us to. بارك الله لي ولكم والسلام عليكم ورحمه الله تعالى وبركاته